Today uh, we are going to do a um, special sermon here talking about who we are as Grace Community Church, why we exist, what's our purpose, and where we are going. We have changed immensely since we have partnered with the church plant in Fulda, and we've sent out an, an enormous amount of people for God's work in church than what we wore several years, including marriage. And we are a very different church than what we wore several years ago. And part of today is, is to, to help those of you who are newer to grace to know where we're going and where we're headed. Because a church has, has a purpose. It has direction. And if we're not headed in God's direction, we'll head in our direction. And we'll cause a lot of problems. We will not be a light in this world. We'll just be part of the contributing darkness. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I want to be part of the light and not the darkness. Today, the passage that we're going to be in is a very, very, very familiar passage for many of you all who've been here and, and grow, maybe grown up in the church or been in the church for a while. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You can turn there now while aim at Mark's here. What we aim at matters. Do you know what you're aiming at in terms of your own personal life? What we aim at matters. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, if Jesus is not just another good man with wise teachings and a great example to follow, follow. if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, if he is God, then it changes everything, friends. And it should change everything here. And today, to help me walk through our message, I'm going to be unpacking some stories from this book called The Insanity of God, which details stories of persecuted believers who've answered the question, is Jesus worth it? And did Jesus raise from the dead? Uh, open this up here with a, a, a brief... Then it changes everything. I want to uh, open this up here with a a brief trailer of the material in the book and and, uh, and the movie or the documentary, just to set the stage. Ninety percent born in the church, raised in the church, saved in the church, married and buried in the church will never share Jesus with another person. No one had ever sat down with us and said, this is the job of a missionary. It was like getting in a plane in the New Testament and getting off the plane in the Old Testament. It was like I'd flown into hell. We saw what what darkness was personal in our family darkness in Somalia and all of a sudden now we saw darkness up front and personal in our family but we uh, we had no idea what was coming out of the ashes of, of Somalia and after the death of our son 
we were compelled to return to some of the toughest places uh, in the world for the gospel. Well, there was something we needed to know. Is Jesus worth it? There begins uh, a pilgrimage of sitting at the feet of believers in persecution and ask them, teach us. that there is a free church and a suffering church. There's just the church. trailer, despite the, the hype and the really loud subwoofers, <laughs> what the authors set out here are missionaries who went into closed areas, and, and they, they, they faced trauma and, and circumstances down to four in that land. All the gospel retracting, going from 150 believers in Somaliland and Somalia down to four in that land. They lost their own son. And they came back to the United States from the mission field, and they were absolutely broken and, and, and disillusioned with the advance of the gospel and the goodness of God and, and all these things. And as God began to do a healing work in their life, they realized God is advancing his kingdom in places that are super dark. Now, we didn't experience that. Why? What's happening around their world? What's different about the churches in these other nations, in, in, in Iran, where it's exploding, even now in Afghanistan, in China, in Russia? What's going on in these churches where it's closed and it's costly to be a Christian? And as he states here in, in, in this video, he went out looking for tools in order to bring back, in order to be able to equip and train other people. And what he found is he experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ. That he's real. That he's alive. And the church is thriving because Jesus is alive. And they're answering the question, is he worth it? With a resounding Yes. With a rebellious. Yes. Question for you and me. If we are the church. The aim is in person. It's Jesus Christ. Is he worth it? This and the question is. Do you believe it? Is he worth it? Check your heart and your soul. Check your life right now. What does it say about Jesus? Is he worth it? You see, friends, it comes down to one thing. If we really believe this, is the resurrection true? Because if the resurrection is true, the resurrection of Jesus, 
And your encounter with him changes everything. Let's go to God's word here. Matthew 28 here. I'm going to skip ahead a slide there. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, this is Matthew recording Jesus' last words to his disciples before he goes up into heaven to be at the right hand of God. He says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples to observe all that I have commanded you, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you've got to work in our hearts because we're stubborn and we're prideful and we're broken and, and, and we're distracted. We need help hearing and not just hearing information. We need to hear you, Jesus. Lift our eyes. Father, as a, as a gentle, loving, tender father, take our, our face in your hands. Lift our, lift our face to gaze upon your face, Lord Jesus that we may follow you in response to your word, that we would catch this compelling vision. Let our hearts be set on fire. Lord God, let us let go of those things that don't ultimately matter, Lord, and let us focus. Let our aim be true. Let our aim be you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Just going to warn you, for whatever reason, when I'm tired, so I've got a challenge here. Okay, so I've got a challenge here. Somebody said I'm going to go long already. (laughs) Context in this passage, Matthew 28, Matthew records Jesus living out the life and displaying he's the Messiah. He's a long awaited king, not just a king of a nation, but the king of kings, the God himself become a human being. And living out those three years of ministry before his people and before those disciples and and showing them who God really is by his life and by the teaching. He trained them up. He modeled for them. And then, of all things, he didn't lead a revolution, a political revolution. He died. And he didn't just die any death. He died a shameful, horrific death for which anyone associated with that would be ostracized from society. Because to be a set here is an individualistic culture. To be associated with such a a, a horrific thing. But Jesus came back to life. Death couldn't hold him. Everything he said, everything he said, all of a sudden became clear to the disciples. Because he was God. The resurrection verified, validated. Jesus wasn't merely a good teacher, a revolutionary He's God himself. Now, at this point, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. These final words, which we call the commission. Because I've equipped you up to this point. Here we go. 
Because a big change is going to happen. He's going to go back into that spiritual place where he was before in the presence of God the Father until he would return again to finish what he started. And so he says in verse 18 here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is huge. This is huge. Underline this in your Bible if you do that kind of thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All. Circle that word. It's not just some authority. You know, how do we respond to authority in this life? People in positions of power and, and, and prestige. And, and, and the other week we were around uh, a family whose, whose, uh, whose dad was the king of, of this certain tribe in, in, uh, uh, in Africa. In the Congo. That's an honor. We have, we, we, you respect someone in such authority. Now, in our nation, we, have, we, we, don't, we don't necessarily respect authority, do we? Right? We, don't, we, we, we have to say, you've got to earn it before I respect. We don't respect a position. Jesus says, all authority, not some authority. When I, when I heard that word that, that, that word that he was a king, I was like, wow, I, need, I, need to, I really need to be aware of how I treat this man because this is an honor for me. He has some authority, a small amount of authority, and it deserves some level of respect and honor because Jesus tells us to respect our authorities. Jesus doesn't have some authority, all all authority in heaven and on earth. Elsewhere, Paul says this about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Opinions or rulers or authorities, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or might be supreme. You catch the weight of these words. He created all things. Again, we, we have the tendency to minimize Jesus. Or because we know it, we've heard it so many times over and over, if you've been growing up in the church, once again, the familiarity breeds contempt. We minimize his authority, that he's above all things. He is our head as we are his church, his kingdom. We exist to serve him. And so it said there in the end, so that he might in all things be preeminent or supreme. Listen, friends, if all authority has been given to Jesus, then we bow down. We don't just respect the position because he's God. But we do respect his position because he's God. He's worthy on the one hand. But how did he use that position for you and I? How did he use that power and authority? Did he abuse it? How did he use that, 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 that glory that he has as the creator of all things, as your creator, as knowing you, intimately informing you, as the one who created the laws by which all of creation sustains itself and upholds itself? How do you and I respond? 
How did he treat us with all that power and authority? He was not an unjust God. In fact, he took on our injustice. He used that power to to relieve our He used that power to take our penalty of our sin. He used that power to relieve our burden that we cannot be good enough to satisfy God's judgment and wrath. No, he satisfied God's wrath for us and has forgiven us. He's worthy. Not just because of his position, but friends, he's earned it. Amen. Is Jesus worth it? Come on now. Is Jesus worth it? If he's worth it, then he deserves to be the center of our lives. As a church, as God's church, if Jesus is the head, he's supreme, then why we exist, our purpose is Jesus. Our purpose is Jesus. As you hear in our, 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 our vision statement as a, as a church, we exist to know Christ, become like him, and make him known because we're all alone. It's not about us. That's the problem. Being about us is the problem. The remedy is being about Jesus. Now, this is so important for us to get as a church, as God's church, as Jesus' church. We exist to follow him. We exist to, to follow his lead. We exist to point other people to him. As we pursue him, we can get sidetracked by good things that come from Jesus and make them the ultimate things. We don't exist for politics, amen? Amen. We don't exist for social justice, amen? Amen. We don't exist to make you feel good. Now, that was a little lighter. Watch out, I'm stepping on toes. When we are about Jesus, we will rightly be able to engage with politics. When we are about Jesus... We will rightly engage in injustice in our world. When we are about Jesus, you will feel better. Your life will be better. It won't go your way. Good is God. Going your way. Because that's a lie from hell. Good is God. Not going your way. If we are God's church, we're about Jesus. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, we exist for him and his purposes and following his word that he's given us. Amen. His position, but the power too, that's so important for us to get as he is now getting ready to send us, commission us with purpose, all right? He has all power. Now get ready for purpose. He gives a command, a commission here. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The command in this is not go. It's make disciples. The command is important where grammar comes in. The command, the verb, is make disciples. Now, for those of you who are teachers and English teachers will appreciate this, grammar is godly. And it teaches truth. You see, the word go, hold on here. The word go is a participle. 
going back to school. Some of you, I just... An adverb. Go is a participle. Go is an adverb. Baptize is an, another participle. It's an adverb. It describes how we make disciples. Baptizing, teaching to obey. These are three actions that describe how do you make disciples? Because that's the command. He's giving his disciples the command, make disciples. We do that by going. While we go about our day, as you go about your, as you're working, as you're, you're, you're raising your kids, as you're, you're, you're living life, as you're going to school, whatever your situation is on vacation, it doesn't matter where you're going or how you're going, we're all called to make disciples. We're to be prepared. That's our commission. Make disciples as you go. And we're to lead, we're to baptize, we're to lead people from not knowing Jesus to surrendering to Jesus. There's got to be a shift. It's not knowing about Jesus. It's knowing and walk with them. And it doesn't stop there. We walk with them. Teach them to obey everything I commanded. If we're to teach them them to obey everything I commanded, what's the command in these verses? Our grammar people. What's the verb again? Make disciples. So if we're to teach them to make disciples, what then happens? If you're a disciple, you're to be a disciple maker. Are there any exceptions in here? Is this just for pastors? Is this just for special people who just get excited about Jesus? If you're going to be a disciple and you're going to be taught to obey everything that Jesus commands, then your role is to become a disciple maker. As God's church, we are not effective if I do all the work for you. Or a few people do all the work for you and you sit here as consumers. That is not the church. Paul says later, he explains this in terms of the roles of leadership in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, He gave, them to, uh, he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gives gifting of leadership. I'm a shepherd. I'm gifted as a shepherd. As I do the work. Who does the work? Gifting serve the purpose of? To equip y'all to do the work. Who does the work? Everybody does the work. My role is to equip you. Leadership exists to equip you. Leadership gifting serves to equip. Not just do the work. So we are all ministers. Do you know that? You're called. Every single one of you who surrenders to Jesus, you're called. Every member of God's family, every member of his kingdom is a minister. Every member is a missionary. That's not for special people. That's for all people. That's for you. If I'm doing my job, which God has called me to do, I won't spend my time doing the work. I will equip you to do the work. This is the difference between friends when a moment happens and a movement. What do you want to be a part of? A moment or a movement? What did God create? 2,000 years. Christianity of 500 people, led by 12. 
Christianity is the largest religion around the world. It overtook the Roman Empire and eventually became the imperial religion because it saw the benefits of Christianity for bringing peace. And it just spread. That became the conditions to virally spread around the world. Jesus started a movement. Not a moment for certain people to just burn themselves out trying to entertain and and inspire others. So here at Grace Community Church, how we focus, how we do ministry, friends, is by leading and equipping each of y'all to become disciple makers. It has been so neat to see what happened over the last just couple of years. To see as new people come to Christ, their hunger. And I think of some of one of our young, young adult ladies. I don't have her permission to share the story, so I'm not going to name her name. But she you know, come to know Christ. And then she just started reaching out to one of her friends who's also uh, 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 broken. And, and, and she didn't know where to begin, but she just opened their Bibles. And they started reading their Bibles together. Disciples make disciples. Think of one of our young adult men who's just been set on fire for the Lord and, 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 and where he returns. He's just trying to, he, he's using his job, everything he does as an opportunity to share Jesus, pray with people, come alongside them and make disciples. It's happening. Y'all are doing it and we need to keep doing it. We need to keep clear that if Jesus is everything, then we all are part of this mission and we'll make disciples. We will focus, and you're going, to, you're going to be encouraged in this. We've got to get smaller to have a bigger impact. It's important to get involved in small, small groups and life groups in order to be in community, be encouraged around, word, around the word, because relationships are critical. Jesus had, he had 12, he discipled and trained. He had three. He had three, Peter, James, and John, that he gave his life to. We've got to get smaller to have a bigger impact. You know this in your personal lives. When I was a freshman, excuse me, a sophomore, I got pulled aside in this, in this youth group. I had no idea. These, these older guys were inviting me to participate in this, this guy's group. I had no clue what we were going to get into, what this was all about, but I just felt really honored that seniors would ask me to hang out with them, and that was really cool. And they just start opening their lives about struggles and sin that they have and, and how they want to follow Jesus and, 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 and open in God's word. And, and what, these are seniors in high school, and I'm a sophomore, and I'm, I'm just blown away. And they're talking about stuff that's super personal, and, and, and I'm a little awkward because it's like, wow, did we just go there? And we did. And yet it was liberating because I had those same struggles. And we were coming out of, out of darkness into light, and it was just a few of us. took a dramatic shift. And I've tried to characterize and make sure those intimate relationships, those personal relationships are part of my life. I need to be in small relationships where I can bear my soul and have God's word come and be shared with me as well. You know that too. It's been in in private personal relationships that you've experienced the greatest amount of change. We got to get smaller to have a bigger impact. Disciples making disciples. That's when we move beyond a moment to a movement. When one person isn't doing it, or 10 people aren't doing it, but 200 people are doing it. 
the numbers are exponential. And it just keeps going and going and going. Nick Ripkins shares a story about a gentleman named Stoyan. In his, uh, in his encounters, as he goes around the world to these different broke, closed places and where Christians are persecuted and yet the church is continuing to thrive. And he comes across this dude named Stoyan who, who watched his father suffer. His father was imprisoned for 10 years uh, uh, and taken away from the family. And the family was targeted by the police and shut down, forced to move, starving on the edge of, of like literally starving to death. And God would just show up in miracles and provide what they needed just when they needed it. They would go see their dad in prison. And, and he's just this skeleton of bones. And he's been bruised, purple, and beaten when they see it. And this kid... He's a kid and he's watching this happen. You would think, wouldn't your heart be hardened? Like, this isn't worth it. And he watches as his mom is getting berated by a, a, an officer who, who, who sees her slip him a, a, a Bible and says, don't you know this is the reason why he's here? We can kill him. We can kill you. We can kill your kids. And she says, I don't care. You can kill my husband. You can kill my kids. You can kill me. But you can't separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he saw his mom step into this place, and he himself became a minister. And he himself started heading up and organizing underground Bible smuggling mission. And as Nick is sharing with him, and he's asking and processing with him, like, what do I do with all this that you shared? How do I handle this? And and the gentleman says, says this, and watch out here. Stoyan says this, I thank God and I take great joy in knowing that I was suffering in prison in my country so that you Americans could be free to share Jesus in Kentucky. Don't steal my joy. I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you could be free to... We would never have given up. Don't ever give up in freedom what we would never have given up under persecution. That is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Make disciples. We have a purpose. We have a mission. And it's for all of us. And the persecuted brothers and sisters who are undergoing this and their lives are saying, he's worth it. And they're encouraging us and they're praying for us, friends. And they're saying, they're they're raising their pom-poms for us, saying, don't give up in your freedom, but we are not giving up to the point of death and persecution. We're being slain for you. Rise up. Recognize your purpose. And live. The church exists for Jesus, make disciples who are his purposes. And he says, make disciples. Make disciples who follow him, who, who are all about him, who are liberated by him, who love him. We are to be contagious, all of us, and to do life together. There's one more thing here he says, it's subtle. Make disciples 
of all nations. This is is not a small thing. Because it started among Jewish people exclusively. And Jesus points out this is not a political or national revolution. This is not about Jews only. This is about everyone. Make disciples of all nations. John sees a vision given by God of the end. Of this, is the, this is what the church is intended to be. This is what we will be in eternity. And they sang a new song saying, We're talking about Jesus. You were, and to open its seals for you were slain. Talking about Jesus. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. And priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Jesus made one kingdom. One church of all nations. We are to display something profoundly unique. This world is trying to bring about peace. And live in harmony. And they do it in all kinds of destructive and problematic ways. They have to erase morality in order to bring people together. They've got to create relativism in order to bring people together. And the, and the way isn't to say all things are good. No, it's to say Jesus is good. He's the only way that people can be brought together. The cross is the only bridge that brings us all together. And we, friends, if we get the cross, part of the cross isn't just reconciliation with God. It should be the most multicolored, multiple of all people. And this place should be the most multicolored, multilingual space in the world because we have peace himself. Jesus is our peace. Paul says later, here in Colossians, he says, here in the church, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. No, we are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not minimizing, don't talk about ethnicity. He's saying, no, it's equated. We're all valued. We're going to have to have those conversations. We're going to rub shoulders because it's awkward and uncomfortable when we mix cultures. But if we're going to be the one true church, we're going to live it out. We step into that anxious space. We step into that uncomfortable space. We don't hesitate from it. We don't cut off relationship because it's different. Different isn't mean are part of the beauty of God's kingdom. My friend McNay would say, those differences are part of the beauty of God's kingdom, as we see in the end. Who's going to be there? Every tribe, tongue, nation, language. That starts now. That starts here. Which is why you see us, as we champion, bringing on Pastor Jose, who is coming next week, by the way. Got his passport on Saturday. He is coming. Why we have taken a step to reach our community. Why we're intentionally, intentionally, purposefully becoming one church, many languages. Because that's what Jesus accomplished. We're following Jesus. One last story here. See if I can get it done. We're going to go over time. Somebody, somebody spoke prophetically. Here we go. One last story here. Okay. In the book here. And um, Dimitri 
he was a dad and he didn't know Jesus and he was kind of just, you know, he was, he was a good enough dad. He wasn't a good leader. He would, just, he would just provide food for the table. He was just a good enough dad. And his wife had been praying for him. And he came to know Jesus. And he, and he started to open the word. And, 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 he, and, and it, was, it was just, his heart was filled. And he had a sense of mission and purpose. And he was just, he was like, I can't put this down. I've got to give this to my, to actually, let me step back here. It started with his kids. He and his wife were just reading scripture. And they were, they were learning songs. This was new. This is in a closed area. You can't have churches. And, and, and the sons were like, Dad, read to us. We want to learn more too. They were hungry. They were seeing what was happening to his dad. And they wanted some of that too. Come on, Dad. And just as a family together, they're reading. And, and, and he has no training. He's just a... And, and the neighbors here. Kids and his family are just opening God's word. And they're singing some songs together. And, and the neighbors here. Because you know when you're poor and in your, when you're under, in these, these countries, like you don't have like insulated walls. And you, you do life with everybody. And people are hearing them sing, and, and they're wondering, what's going on here? And they're like, I want to be part of this. And he's like, hey, I, I don't have any training. And, like, police might hear about stuff like this. And, 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 and they kept pressing in, like, we want some of this. We need to hear this. And it went from his family, and it grew to 25. And they just kept gathering just to read God's word. And they were singing and let, and their hearts were filled with joy because they were encountering Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And the risk was worth it. And it grew to 75. And their little hut, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really fit 75 real well. And it's pretty obvious when 75 people are all going to one hut. And they're wondering, is the cooking good or something else going on over there? Break it down. Please show up, break it down, take him, snatch him, take him to prison. He's in there 17 years. The beatings, every day he would do this. He would come to the cell wall, the bars, and lift his hands in worship. And he would sing with his heart, with whatever strength he had from the beatings and malnourishment. And he would sing what he called his heart song. The song of worship to Jesus. And he got to a point where they had beat him, beat him down in 17 years. And they had beat him and beat, literally physically beat him. And he got to a point he was felt alone, depressed. And you've been in that place where you, the darkness begins to creep in. You start believing what you're feeling. You start believing those lies in your head. And he told them, fine, tomorrow bring, bring the document and I'll renounce Christ. Bring it. We're praying for him. And he literally, that night, he felt the power of his family and their church praying for him. And he literally heard their voices as he was in his cot just at the, the darkest point. God had given him the auditory vision of them praying that night for him as moved by the Holy Spirit. They came in to have him renounce, and he said, I'm not going to do it. I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone, and I heard God gave me this vision of their voices, and I heard them praying, I'm not alone, and you can't take from me what I have because it, I don't have it. It has me. 
And they dragged him out to beat him and execute him on the spot. And as they're dragging him out to beat him, this miraculous thing happens that these men, 1,500 men in this cell who had been yelling and screaming, you're throwing even their feces at him while he stands at his prison, his song that he was singing in worship, these men begin singing his song that he was singing for 17 years. They sing his song, that heart song. They worship Jesus. 1,500 men. And you can imagine those soldiers, they were caught up in something so much bigger than themselves in that moment. They were caught on holy ground. And they couldn't take him to execute him. They put him back in his cell. And they were overwhelmed by the power of God. Because he, just a dad, just a dad who came to know Jesus. He loved Jesus more than anything. And started making disciples that make disciples. Just because he just opened the word and did some worship. Friends, what we're about, we're about Jesus. I'm going to reach the nations. Because we're about Jesus, we make disciples that make disciples. I'm going to reach the nations. We're not a part of a moment, friends. We're part of a movement. Is he worthy? Friends, is he worth it? Grace Community Church, is he worth it? Grace Community Church, is he worth it? Worship team, come on forward. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts. There are things that we've got to let go of. In order to let you have the right place and to trust you that, that you will let us enjoy these good things in our lives. Some things are just bad. They need to be cut out. But there are things we're struggling to trust you with. That These good things that you're not going to take them away, but you'll reorient in them. We won't need them, but they become a vehicle for worship. But if so, I pray for Spirit, bring that conviction. That all be about you, Jesus. We gotta let go of some stuff. So I pray for Spirit, bring that conviction, that work now, that convicting work, Jesus. Thank you that it is not a threat, but it's liberation. That like our friends who pray for us, that we can let their persecution, their suffering, their death, their blood. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to use our freedom to advance the kingdom. Let us be about you, Jesus. Work in our hearts and let us lift our heart song to you. In your name, amen.